Yeah, just hearing how this whole thing sounds right now. Yeah, I like this. I like this whole vibe going on right now. Hey, what's up guys? It's a stargazer. I'm trying to do a little bit of an experiment right now. And uh, we're just going to set the clock to an hour and see what kind of what kind of weird things we can think about and, uh, and kind of space out for a little bit let your mind flow yeah here we go one hour on the clock some lo-fi beats in the background just nice and chill i'm just getting a little sip sip of water gotta stay hydrated you know you know just a few minutes ago i was watching a few interesting documentaries about history and people and uh weirdly enough it started out with simon sinek and the infinite game very interesting theory this guy has about how in business we we all trying to play the finite game we aim for an endpoint we aim to win something and really in life as in business there is no real endpoint is there if you win this quarter what happens next quarter the game continues and the only time you lose is when you're out when you cash out you have no more resources or will to go on and simon puts in his book that that's a definition of an infinite game if you don't think of the game being about yourself and the competition and you start thinking about it as kind of yourself versus the market in general everything the world then you realize the game is business business is the name of the game it exists with or without you and how long your company can hang on directly is affected by your choices right and the rest of the market doesn't care even if you're a juggernaut you know even if you're enormous if you go out of business somebody's gonna come and take up your place the game will continue markets will continue and other companies will continue but you'll be gone so how do you plan for that what do you do with that idea and it's so strange i think to think about ourselves as an infinite game you know we as modern humans i guess you could say not very modern but the most recent macro evolution of our species has been around for let's take a time point that makes some sense to some people we are living in the year 2021 now 2021 years ago uh, is what we call anno domini and that supposedly stands for the change between prehistory and modern history right 2021 years from that date but that's kind of a relevant date isn't it it doesn't really matter 2021 years ago what was so different from that compared to 3500 years ago from today for us the difference is meaningless it was the same level of technological advancement i mean internally there was definitely a difference if you think about time and the scale of the the actual scale of the earth and people you'll find that the egyptians were to the romans what the romans are to us people write that and you really don't stop to think about what that means to us romans were primitives and while they built beautiful cities and wonderful architecture and uh, they had deep deep rich written history and an oral tradition that stretches to us today you realize the, the romans l- entire nations that we would know call them today entire nations have risen and completely deteriorated in the time of a single generation of people in one person's lifetime you'll have seen the rise and fall of the soviet empire 
That's one entire nation state that no longer exists in one lifetime. That was normal. That was a regular occurrence from the beginning of humanity to today. And those things, if you measure on the entire length of our species history, you'd notice that these things happen so often, people don't even bother putting them in books. Let me give you a good example. Today, dates like 9-11 and you know, uh, Pearl Harbor, June 7th, um, or uh, December 7th, uh, Pearl Harbor, excuse me, uh, June was Normandy Landing's D-Day, right? Another date that lives in our head as a finite point in the past that is notable, so notable that people write entire books around that single finite point. That to us was 80 years ago. Is my math right? No, 60 years ago, excuse me. Math is really bad right now. Sorry about that. But that's just 60 years ago. That's easily, that's a normal lifetime. If somebody was born the day of D-Day, today they'd be 60, and they probably wouldn't even need a new hip yet. It'd be totally fine. You know, that's a normal time scale. We're talking about, in Rome, you would have seen the Egyptians as an entire ancient civilization that was so far in the past that it didn't matter to you. Right? Today, somebody tells us Victorian England. What does that mean? It means very little to us as people in our current day-to-day lives, unless you're an academic, professor, history buff, whatever the case may be. But generally speaking, the time scale doesn't make any sense to us. We don't know what that means. And it gets even worse if you try to talk about biology, talk about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, 30, you know, 10 million years ago, 8 million years ago. What does 8 million years mean to any of us? We live maybe 100 years total. The oldest person we know is likely only 100. And the old, oldest person that they knew was probably only 80, which means in a direct 2D link, you would only be looking back in with one step to 200 years ago, maximum, right? You would only, follow the logic here, your oldest person would have only, their oldest person would have only been 100 years old. And if your oldest person is 100 years old, that means between those single generation changes, you're talking about 200 years. Okay, that's it. That's the time scale to put into perspective. How much stories change in just one retelling, let alone two, let alone a thousand, hundred thousand. It's incredible. And you think today we have eight billion people on the earth, eight billion people who may have, you know, a life of a few days, a few weeks, a few years, maybe even a century, and potentially now going to more than a century in the future. Billions of lives, billions of stories that happened with or without anybody noticing just how incredible today we think that everyone should hear our story i think that somebody should listen to this i mean honestly don't know if anyone want to listen to this and i honestly don't care i find the creative experience here quite quite interesting i like it a lot anyway each of those lives they existed they were born they had the same level of depth in their experiences as you have every day they tasted apples the same way you taste apples and with a reverence of the sweet taste, the crunch, or whatever they may have had at that time. Which, again, <laughs> you don't give the right weight to the mutations and the evolution that has happened in our food in the last hundred years, let alone the last thousand years. People a thousand years ago didn't really have taste the way you have taste now. Your evolution of taste buds has become just... In the same way that a 1990s cell phone may be a giant brick and yours in your pocket is a really super sleek device, extremely easy to use and whatnot, very quick. That's the difference between your ancestors' sense of taste 
the, the giant brick phone versus yours, this little sleek thing. It's become more compact, more powerful, much more finely attuned. And now we have all the flavors that we have today for all tastes. They didn't need that back then. Can you imagine? that? Just a thousand years ago, that's five grandparents, five generations back. Excuse me, Jesus. That's ten generations back. A thousand years. Ten generations directly back. You're talking about people had less developed senses of taste. How incredible. And why does this happen? Why, do, why, why is there such a change in whether or not the biology, but definitely the culture? Food didn't need to taste extremely good when you just had to find some of it. If you were starving, it didn't matter what it tastes like. If it give you energy, you'll put it in your mouth. Why today are even the poorest of people in our society who in previous times would, you know, would be lucky to get the crumbs, today they, get, they have choices, right? They have the choices of different tastes. They have the choices to be healthy and unhealthy. And we think society is degenerating. Now we're getting a little off topic, but it's, it's jumps like that that make thought and the idea of, you know, exploring the flow of consciousness. It makes that idea really, really fun to explore. You know, just walk back a little bit, walk back, or walk, not back, walk forward five steps into whatever you're thinking about. I'm thinking about buying a car. What's next? Okay, why, which car do I need? What, what kind of size what kind of engine and what what is important to me as a customer am i thinking about kids do i want to have a larger car so for safety or whatever reason then you go forward one more step okay what's my budget all right let's go look let's see what cars are out there that's only three steps fourth step go and drive the car fifth step actually buy the car sixth step you didn't even think about what happens now that i have it what do i do with it i mean obviously use it every day but what's exit strategy how do you get out of this car because it's not gonna last forever it's gonna break at some point sixth step seventh step I don't know if there's a seven step in this chain. I mean, eventually you sell it and it's out of your hair. Fine. Done. No, that's a stupid and very simple point to start from, buying a car. As an end game, it's a finite thing that happens. When you talk about things beyond the finite, the consciousness that exists beyond you and what you can see, how far does that go? Alexa, turn off office lights. Okay. Uh, we're going to turn on... Turn on a little bit of nightlight mode on this screen. Let's see if I can find it here. Oh, there it is. Oh boy, it was already on. Whoops. Let's see, turn it up a little bit. Oh yeah. I have a really stupid, uh, really stupid uh, background track going on here. It's Homer Simpson high off his ass, driving around in a car in the sky. It looks like. Interesting. I like that. I don't know. Oh, another thought I was having earlier today. I was watching these documentaries and we were thinking about those lives. Different people have different lives. And if you just think about being in one person's shoes, okay? Think about the last show you watched. Think about the main character, how their lives are extremely well fleshed out and everything is detailed completely to a depth where you feel like you can taste the cake on the table. Now think about the guy cleaning the dishes. Do you think... You know, do you think that poor guy has uh, has ever been thought of as a, like a fully-fledged character by any writer? I don't think so. Can you imagine what that guy's life was like? Right? Let's take, you know, let's take uh, Bridgerton. It's the last thing I've seen recently. Who, who Many of these secondary characters are completely flat and they really don't matter. Can you imagine the in the Queen's 
staff in the palace what these people have seen what these people do every day and they see the royalty just lounging and eating cakes and doing basically nothing and they if it was me i would assume they haven't earned anything right how do they have this privilege and i don't what would i be thinking about it because you know that person probably is thinking the same thing that's an entire story that's a story of somebody who was born somebody who went into i mean obviously not school probably at that point you went into some sort of you know tutelage to do something to gain money make you know make some kind of resources to feed your household and eventually at some point around your 20s you end up in the queen's palace doing the work of a servant how what an interesting life that must have been every one of these billions billions of lives that have started and ended on the planet each of them had the same experiences with the same fidelity as you did each of these people lived a life fully end to end in a way just like the way you are right now all these lives were the same in you know depth in intricacies in conflict in hope in sorrow all these things were there they were all there everything was present there but when we look at people we see flat pieces unless they're close the closer they are to us the more depth they have but the further they are from us the more flat they are i think this way of thinking is what's wrong with a lot of things we do today you know we think of people as flat pieces on a much larger board that apparently we are the center of right i mean in a lot of ways that's how we do everything in our lives we're the center and the further away from me you are the less you matter whether it's physically emotionally socially whatever it's a weird way to think if we were all if we all thought we were each you know higher dimensional we all thought that we that the other person somebody who they were looking at lived a full life lived the same kind of experiences had the same heartbreaks dealt with the same sorrows as we did can you imagine how much different your behavior would be to this person and vice versa if we saw people who were as cruel as you know, some people you may have seen they're just if that was the only person you knew a cruel person how would you see people around you what is your baseline expectations that they're going to be cruel and that's where it seems like we start now i mean babies aren't by nature cruel they're by nature sweet because they have to be otherwise they'd be you know not living it's one one interesting frame of evolution many it turns out many mammals who give unfunctional live births meaning the baby is unable to run or defend itself or feed itself quickly after birth the parents have to develop some system for protection or some system for uh giving the giving the baby some time to you know develop into something more something larger right now think about what that means for social creatures it turns out that if you're uneffective when you're born like a horse within within minutes of them being born they can run why because they need to run from the lion they need to run for the pack animals that were hunting them they need to be mobile immediately the babies can't even walk or crawl by themselves until several months into their birth after birth why is that i mean it turns out there's two things one is your brain your brain is so large that your body can't really handle it and your body cannot feed it no baby at that size with the amount of brain that we have could feed itself to hit the energy requirements needed to keep up that enormous brain so we had to develop social groups to take care of the children in the time that their brains their bodies grew to be large enough to feed their own brains 
It's a self-perpetuating organism. Well, I mean, all organisms are, and that's brilliant. How genius is that? The only way we got to this point by having enormous brains. The only way we got enormous brains was by developing a social group. The only way we got into a social group is by pulling people who were similar, similar looking, I assume, in this case, because back then language may or may not have been impossible. Who knows? I mean, there were other there were other offshoots of Homo sapiens who were not Homo sapiens. I mean, Homo sapiens were an offshoot of a pre another prehistoric species of man creature, but there at that point must have been some sort of language. Can you imagine the kind of language these interspecies relationed beings would have had? It's like living on the same planet with a bunch of aliens that were also cognitive and could do things. And the only reason they don't exist anymore is because they couldn't become social fast enough to deal with the large-headed humans with the large brains. That's crazy. So now these large-headed humans with large brains and large social groups to facilitate the growth of larger brains is in charge of a blue marble floating in space. And now we're at 22 minutes. 22 minutes of rambling talk. We've gone through a few things, I think. We've gone through the idea of stories. Everyone's story is different. Everyone's lives, everyone's lives are different. And then we went down the path of multidimensional thinking and then thinking about people as multidimensional. I think that's pretty interesting. Nice little poetic rap there. And then thinking about the lives of people before people were actually the only things thinking on the planet. There were other things thinking, I mean, technically every animal thinks, but the only man-like creature that was almost as cognizant as we are, I mean, genetically they would have to be inferior in some way, and turns out the real way was the social group. Neanderthals couldn't band together more than 10 or 20 units into one social group. And because of that, they could never overcome the physically less adequate humans who could band together in 20, 30, 40. Small social groups would reach 50 people. And these 50 people, even against 20 genetically more uh, strong, genetically more hardy people, they couldn't, those 20 genetically better people couldn't handle it. I mean, genetically, I should say physically stronger, physically more hardy, because mentally they clearly weren't. That's just how that works. All right, I'm gonna change this music. There's some voices going on here. Ah, <coughs> oh, excuse me, I'm a little sneezy. Interesting. All right, what do we think of? Uh, chill study beats, maybe? Let's try chill study beats. Hmm. How about mix, hip-hop mix and trap? Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Oh yeah, oh, that's hot, that's a hot track. All right, now I gotta save this in the notes. Let's see if we can put some notes in here. Eh, I guess not, that's all right. Let's put in my uh, stargazing text duck then. And you know, it's, uh, here's a story about why I like to call this stargazing. Uh, second mix, there we go. Isn't that weird? Alright, so let's get that first mix on there. 2554, the first mix. Bang. 
so yeah well, I like to call it Stargazer I have a lot of aliases I've been using for many years different platforms different games I had a lot of different dumb things that I would use and you know each of them became a personality in some ways I found that strangely cathartic although not really strange when I think about it but uh, strangely cathartic that to have a different persona online you can be anybody you wanted right and why not if that was your defense against things why not make it you know a little bit different from who you are in the daily world and it changed a lot about what I would how I would handle myself in situations it was nice it was a nice little blanket to cover you know who I was and be a little bit more safe uh, against the person on the other side of the screen and this is one of those two there's a lot of things you know I may say in this kind of format that I wouldn't say elsewhere in a more professional setting for example because it's not the, it's not appropriate it's not where you're supposed to do it but I tend to enjoy having unscripted open-ended things to talk about and things to discuss it makes the exercise of you know multi-step thinking a little bit more approachable right having a directed question to answer is makes this practice more approachable absolutely not having a directed question like this particular experiment i'm doing now i've kind of set a time limit and said listen just talk about stuff become comfortable talking about stuff in front of nobody and that's what's happening right here there's nobody in front of me there's nothing going on in front of me right now it's just an interesting idea when i post this i'll post it as if nobody's looking nobody's listening and if somebody does listen hey good for you i appreciate it but that's at your own risk right you chose to be here really really interesting way of thinking which is something that all performers have to develop and they they eventually do i'm sure is the idea that you didn't go to this person to perform for them they came to you for you to perform for them so you kind of do whatever you want to if they're entertained great you did your job if they're not you messed up your job but it doesn't matter take the hit learn do better and come back if they decide to come back and see you again it was worth it and hopefully you're a little bit better this time you know man this music is not working out for me i don't like it what do you got Hmm. That's me sneezing. Uh, now, I'm about halfway through the time that I wanted to record for. Kind of curious about where to go next, you know? I'm, uh, there's a lot of things I like to do, a lot of think about. There's too many topics at most times to, you know, pay attention to most of them. But, sometimes I like to think about the future and where it's going where are we going and what are we really going to be able to predict about it and a couple of interesting ideas that come up every once in a while just give me one second here all right here we go we're back now I'm going to do this next part standing up because I like the idea of, you know, letting the blood flow all the way up and down the head. And, you know, one of the things I like to think about is the future. 
and uh, what we can predict and what we think we can predict about what's going to happen next. And, you know, in a lot of ways, we have no clue what's happening. But that's based on what time scale you look at. You want to look at the next five years, I can probably pinpoint pretty much what's going to happen in the next five years in many different fields, right? You can predict the next steps for a lot of different technologies and a lot of different fields of study, fields of social science, fields of natural science. Maybe not the last one, actually, now come to think of it, but most of the other ones you can. Let's start with technology, easiest thing in the world to predict. And the reason is technology is always going to change. You know it's coming. There is always a better way to do it. And there's always a more efficient way, cheaper way, less energy usage, uh, energy consumptive way of doing something. So there's always a new uh, there's always a new device on the horizon to take care of that need, right? But what kind of things are really going to step out in the next five, ten years? I think a couple of them are uh, going to be robotics. Uh, and what the most relevant and, and immediately concerned one we should think about is self-driving cars, of course. And the reason is pretty simple. And most of all of human civilization has always relied on transportation, moving from one place to another as a conduit of intergenerational growth, right? If you don't go from one place to another, how do you transfer the knowledge you need so that somebody else can get it and innovate on something you've done? Without that exchange of ideas, nothing else can happen, and that all stems from transport. Now, in this day and age, transport is many things. One is virtual, transport over the internet, speak with somebody from the other side of the world at any time. But physical transport is still also very important. Uh, and changing navigation by making it irrelevant to have the human in control is going to have repercussions for many things in our lives but one will be really interesting it'll be the social implication what happens if you know there is no limit to transport even as a child you get in the car and the car will take you where you need to go safely right or as an extreme adult you know and at this point we're talking about let's say 2030 life expectancy today is around 86 years old and most people today are easily living to 90 easily living to 90 95 maybe 100 and the ones at that absolute edge are getting healthier even. So where, what happens to the mobility of those on the outsides? What about the mobility of the poorest, economically disadvantaged, as opposed to physically or, you know, chronologically disadvantaged, you may say? Well, if transport becomes ubiquitous, the transport-related industries are going to collapse very quickly. And they will obviously have other jobs you can do, but those industries won't exist anymore. And if they don't exist, then what happens to those people? How do they survive in this game? Well, there's no real right answer. When automation took over manufacturing as a bulk process, the fine details were left to the, to the you know, people uh, to deal with. And details in terms of uh, not physical, not mechanical performance, but so much, uh, not so much mechanical performance as artistic performance. The style, I'm thinking of cars right now, I'm thinking of the Bentley or Rolls Royce, where famously the specific panels of the car were so complex that it was too difficult to make a machine to automate the process. A craftsman had to manually bang out these aluminum pieces. That wouldn't happen to today, and that's only 20 years of progress. 20 years of progress got us to a point where we're stamping out Rolls-Royce and Bentley parts like in seconds as opposed to in days, in the old days. Uh, 
So what is the worth of that good now? It's still intrinsic. It's whatever people are willing to pay for it. But it's not, it's not actually a, you know, static position anymore. It'll ebb and flow with the cost of goods. Whereas before, the largest cost was the manpower and the ebb and flow of the manpower, more so than the cost of goods, would have limited your production and caused you to have a scarcity driving up price. We don't have that much anymore. There's so much abundance. The, the idea that people don't have things is down to the unequal distribution of abundance, which is a really ridiculous phrase if you pull down the logic, the logical pieces of it. It's an uneven distribution of abundance. There's more than enough stuff, but it's not in everybody's hands equally, right? What does that mean? That's such a weird concept, but it is true. I mean, think about anything. There is unlimited money. People talk about the abundance mindset, the idea that there's so much you should get yours, right? That's the abundance mindset. What does that mean for everybody? What about the system? How can it survive infinite money? I mean, it really cannot, obviously, but we're not talking about infinite. We're just talking about a lot of people, but several orders of magnitude more money. So in, in our finite ecosystem, it's considered abundant, right? Value is abundant. It's, but the distribution is not there. I mean, there's people going without, which means to them, there is no abundance. I just find that really strange, but it's one thing. Somehow we got to that point coming from self-driving cars. I'm sure the leaps made sense. I can't imagine they wouldn't. My, you know, I'm not, I'm a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. I'm not prone to high levels of thinking, right? Sometimes, who knows? Anyway, go back to self-driving cars. Transport industry flops, but they all kind of migrate to other places. That's what we do. We go to where we're most advantaged. And the other thing that's going to be disappearing very rapidly are jobs that require any kind of middling skill it's interesting that we think about a wealth inequality we also think about a supply inequality in a supply and demand inequality in the workplace there's more and more divide it seems to me in certain industries between the drones and the upper management by which i mean the drones who do simple work straightforward work no questions asked work and then other people who make huge decisions and the communication between those two has only one pass-through layer sometimes, maybe none. There's such a big difference between the manager level and the drone level. It's an inequality. But there's an abundance of work to be done, right? There's abundance of rewards to be had, but there is an inequality in the distribution of resources in a lot of ways, not just the money, but think about it. We need less and less specialized people. We need to be able to teach one person one thing and have them bang out that thing like a cog in the machine. If the cogs don't work properly, then the machine doesn't work. You're no longer really hired to build the machine. You're hired to work it, right? You're, you're just one of the cogs there. And yet we're asking people to be highly educated. People get bachelor's degrees and master's and PhDs in some cases. Some fools get those. But where, what is the proportional usage of your time here? Is it, you know, towards the degree that you got or the education you had? Or did it go to accomplishing the goals of the company? If those two things align, then great, you're in good shape. But if they don't align, I mean, buddy, you're a cog. That's what it's there for. That's what you're there for. 
you're there to chuck the machine along a little bit. It's weird, and the disconnect is quite large, I would say. But in other industries, you have the exact opposite. Everyone's a middle manager. Everyone's in the middle. No one wants to make a big decision on the top level. No one wants to do the hard work on the bottom level. They just want to shift, the, you know, they want to push the papers from one desk to another until nobody has to do it anymore because it's all on fire. Some industries like that too. It's kind of interesting to think. This such a large difference that can exist. It's fun to think about those things. Where are we at now? Wow, we're almost down to our last 15 minutes. I'll take a little seat. All right, what's the last thing we want to talk about? Let's turn off this one now. Let's try Lord of the Rings. Oh boy. Yo, this is great. There's a whole new thing going on here. And a whole different vibe. Hmm. You know, the one good... I like stories. There's a lot of stories that really strike me and make me think even more than I probably should. They're always stupid stories, right? The story of the hero. The story of the... You know, the, the princess and those basic tropes that exist everywhere and you never get away from them. But the story from the perspective of the person living the day-to-day life is extremely interesting. Think about any hero you've ever seen. Let's talk about, a, you know, Aragorn, great example. Uh, somebody who's lived hundreds of years or will, will eventually live hundreds of years, hundreds of years. The amount of training, the amount of swordplay he's done in his life, the amount of horseback riding he's done in his life to get from place to place, how far he's actually gone on his two feet compared to most of the other people. Everybody else in Lord of the Rings probably will never leave the village they were born in. That's the level of transportation and freedom of movement here that you're talking about. They won't even leave the village they were born in. And you have people like Aragorn who go far and wide and across many different landscapes, seeing entirely different worlds, basically. And the people he passes at the uh, at the Pony Inn, I believe, in The Hobbit, those people, they won't move past like 10 miles from where they were born. And they'll die right there too. And their lives won't even notice the war that happened elsewhere because it took over so short a period. And even if it didn't, if it took thousands of years, what is the likelihood of anybody would come to, you know, the small tiny little village for any reason other than to push the story along in this case, the magical savior of whatnot. It's unlikely. It's just not gonna happen. These people probably had super normal lives and nothing happened there. Can you imagine the day a horseman knocks down the door, kills a dude, eight of these guys come into a inn, start stabbing the crap out of a bunch of beds, and then just leave? Well, everyone talked about that for a while and then that'd still be like the biggest story in that that part of the world, as far as they knew. The biggest story in that part of the world for at least 50 years. That's a tradition now for them. It's like Halloween. I find the idea of that really, really interesting. That's most most games that you may play, like most adventure games. Think about 99% of the NPCs. That's it. That's all they're They're going to do one thing. And then they were, you're the most exciting thing as a main character to come into their existence. And it could be good or bad. Obviously, you could just you know blast them and they're dead. Or you could help them do a quest or something like that. I'm, just, I'm still thinking from the RPG perspective here. But that was it. You met the, you know, Dragonborn or something. 
that's what you sold him a sword and he left and he pickpocketed a bunch of people on the way out but he just left that was it he never came back to your village and now you continue living you may not even know that he's a dragonborn it may not even matter to you but interesting super interesting idea there's this is the most fascinating thing about history that you don't even know people that would have lived at this time so you don't know for somebody this may have been a reality obviously obviously this world is the world of lord of the rings or skyrim or whatever well the world is different clearly right that's not the point the story the idea that the person in the inn who saw this happen you know these these uh eight hooded cloaked figures stabbing beds saw that happen and then they just left that person could have existed in this world you could have seen eight people come in and stab a bed and leave you don't know that that hasn't happened anywhere so that could be a real person's real life story that you could have inadvertently seen through the movies i love the idea of that that movies each of those characters could have had an entire fulfilled life outside of their small one-dimensional appearance in a movie in somebody else's perspective story you know i like the idea that those people could have been two-dimensional or three-dimensional even that's such a weird idea and it makes me think about who which person's story i'm one-dimensional in and who's three-dimensional in mine or yeah who's three-dimensional in mine obviously everyone should be aware of but who's one-dimensional in mine and could actually see me as a three-dimensional person in theirs see those are the kind of weird representations i like to keep for people like the the idea that they just visualize that that you're just a geometric figure you know like it's just a like a diamond or um you know in the sims they have a little thing on top of their head that's you as you're looking out into the the plane right like the grid from uh tron you see a bunch of other people and the further away they are from you they're like just pictures flat pictures and the closer they are the more detailed that the icon is right it's literally a proximity graph and the more detailed things are the more important they are to you that's how i like to see the world and it makes it so much easier then to visualize that if instead of that flat piece flat icon in the distance for me if i was there that icon would be perfectly detailed and uh, you know high acuity and whatever their perspective was i would be a two-dimensional figure in the distance and that's just one to one connection that's not you know 2 degrees or 3 degrees or 10 degrees of separation how many degrees of separation does it take to touch every single human on the planet and actually i'm kind of curious let's find out let's do a calculator and let's run my math here's 10 let's say you knew 10 people and each of those people knew 10 more people that's 100 each of those people knew 10 more people that's 1000 10000 So 10 to 1, 10 to 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 9 is 1 billion, 10, 10 to the 10th. 10 degrees of separation, you could touch every single alive human on the planet right now. That's crazy. At the distance, at the furthest distance, 10 people. Math is crazy. and the amount of people who have lived are crazy. I like the idea of big things. Big things make me excited. 
I'm very interested to see the details in the big things that make them truly special. And this is one of those things, the interconnectedness of everybody. And not literally, you're not literally connected with other people, but the idea that mathematically going to 10 people and having them ask 10 more people and having them ask 10 more people, you do that 10 times and you will have spoken with every single human on the planet. I think that's my time. This was a lot of fun. I know, I think the, maybe I'll make this a regular thing. This is a kind of cool experiment. You know, I might not even listen to this. I might just put it online and just, you know, under a pseudonym, post it, post it on YouTube. It doesn't really matter if somebody sees it. If somebody, you know, recognizes some voice recognition things to find out who it was. And it could be really interesting. But, you know, good for you if you're willing to put in that much effort. Otherwise, as a stargazer. And uh, I'll catch you on the other side.